Church. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And we're reading from the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you, that it is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is so good to see you. I know we have a lot of visitors here, so welcome, and hope we all get to meet you afterwards. Um, if you haven't been here for a while or if you're brand new, we've been going through a series on emotionally healthy spirituality. Emotionally healthy spirituality proposes that we can only be as spiritually mature as we are emotionally mature. That our level of spiritual growth and growth in Christ is really parallel to also our, our growth as humans, our growth emotionally and in all aspects of our lives. And so we've gone through even family patterns and wounds from childhood. We've gone through grief and loss. We've walked through uh, just growing into emotionally healthy adults last week. And today we kind of bring it all together and we're going to be talking through crafting a rule of life. Have any of you heard of that before? Crafting a rule of life, this idea of of connecting all aspects of our, our lives with our practices, our habits our rhythms and routines, and allowing our, our rule of life to be something that gives us life, that is a set of um, the ways that we want to live and that compi- combines our desires and our motives and our, our priorities and our values. And so I will say that everyone has a rule of life, that everyone has some kind of set of patterns of habits of the ways that kind of just collect how we live on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Everyone has a rule of life. It's just a matter of how intentional it is, how purposeful it is, how uh, we have either led toward it in a proactive way, or if we have kind of just responded and reacted. And that is how we live our daily lives. When I first moved to New York City two years ago, I've only been here two years and a few months, um, January 2020, I met a friend named Ryan Hairston. Uh, Laura and Ryan are good friends here. And um, the first thing he said to me was, nothing has discipled me like New York City. (laughs) Nothing has discipled me like New York City. And if you've lived here any length of time, or even if you're just visiting, you know that New York is a force. It's kind of its own entity, right? I've never lived anywhere where there's been such, like the city itself is kind of a being unto itself, 
where you talk about the city. The city is itself kind of this like third person in a conversation. There's, there's something about New York that makes it an entity unto itself. And so Ryan just saying, like, nothing has discipled me like New York. I really, even early on in my time here, I really resonated with that. I remember um, one day, just a few weeks after moving here, walking by Bloomingdale's of all things, and I've never cared that much about Bloomingdale's, but, or, you know, vanity, all that kind of stuff, but I just was, like, drawn in, just this, like, oh, compelled with consumerism and I want, I need, and all the places that you can eat, all the things that you can do, the entertainment, the everything, busy and fast, and it, it shapes us, it forms us. And it is definitely something that can be reactive if we are not proactively engaging in a way that is, how, how can I live in the way of Christ in the middle of all of this that comes at us, this force that comes at us? So nothing has discipled me like New York City, and I would agree the fast and busy and power and consumerism and the pace that we live, the vanity, but we can also be formed by the beautiful things around us. We are formed, we are constantly being formed anyway, right? We are people who are always being formed, being shaped, whether we realize it or not. And so what is forming us? That is kind of the question today. What is forming us? What is shaping us? And it's either accidental and passive, or it's purposeful and intentional and chosen. So how is, how is New York City discipling you? How is your world, your culture, your family, how, how are the things externally shaping you internally? Uh, Ken Shigematsu, who wrote a wonderful book about the rule of life, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, Ken Shigematsu, but he said, very few people have a conscious plan for developing their spiritual lives. Most Christians are not intentional, but rather functional, like cars on autopilot. So what is our autopilot setting? How would you naturally grow if left in the wild, like think of a wild plant, how would you naturally grow? What is your autopilot, your default kind of setting? And this leads us to talking about the trellis that is kind of this picture of a rule of life. A trellis, um, I think there's a picture up there. A trellis, you can hardly see it, but this, this is wild or would have been wild uh, wine or grape branches, I believe. And they were formed on this trellis so that they grow upward. Uh, it must not be grapes because whatever that is down there. But this is a plant that otherwise left to itself would kind of just grow wildly. But this trellis, it allows for it to grow upward, to mature, and to get us into a place where there's health and there's a, a scaffolding. It's like a framework for, uh, for forming us. So a trellis, um, a rule of life, the, the word rule, we can actually go back to the ori original, and it's regula. The regula, the, the rule, regular, the way we live, a regula is what gives us the ability to abide in Christ, to grow upward, becoming more fruitful, becoming mature and healthy. So a rule of life then is like this trellis, ordering our lives so that the love of Christ 
and the love of people can be central to all we do. We know that our lives are a gift. Our lives, every single one of us is unique and our lives are a gift not only to ourselves, but to one another. And so how can we live in a way that most, uh, most gives that gift to the people around us? How can we live the life that we long to live? So a rule of life then is simply a commitment to live in a certain way, to live in a way that allows for abundance, that allows for growth, that allows us to be a gift to others and allows us to live the unique, individual, beautiful calling that God has given to each of us. And it is way more, this rule of life is way less about rules and way more about rhythms and about forming us into who we are becoming rather than what we are doing. It is so much less than doing. The next quote here you'll see from John Mark Comer. He says, a rule of life is simply a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. It allows us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. Isn't that what we desire for our lives? I know we are exhausted New York City people. We are people who are busy. We are people who have much on our plates. But this deeply is what I know we desire, to live like Jesus, to live with Jesus, become like him, and do what he does. I think originally it said, do what Jesus did, but Jesus is doing constantly. So to do what Jesus does in our city, in our world. So a rule of life is not goals and a dream, a vision board. It's not about the doing and the things that we want to accomplish. It's not rules, not a law, but a regula, a trellis, something that guides us to live a certain way, a thoughtful, prayerful, intentional pursuit of whole life thriving. And again, everyone already has more or less a rule of life. It's just a matter of how mapped out, thought out, intentional it is versus how reactive coming at us it is, like the pressures around us, the New York City kinds of discipling that we will receive automatically. And so with all this in mind, let's read our scripture again that is going to frame our day today. So Romans 12, one, or Romans, yeah, it is Romans 12, 1 through 2. I think I wrote it down there wrong. Place your life before God. So think of this in terms of your regular daily, weekly, what is, what is shaping you, what is forming you. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Again, this is our desire. This is our heart. Lord, I want to live a life 
that pays attention to you, that has space to notice what you're doing around me, what you're doing in me. We know that only God can grow us and mature us like the plant, that only God can work from the outside in. But what we get to do is we get to cultivate an atmosphere for growth to happen, that we get to create this hospitable environment through our daily practices, routines, where inevitably maturing can take place. We've created this hospitable environment where growth and health can happen. I love this quote from Annie Dillard. She says, how you live your days is, of course, how you live your life. Our habits and routines and rhythms, that's what makes up our days and our therefore our weeks and therefore our months and therefore our whole life. And I want us actually to imagine ourselves, the days, the weeks, the months adding up years and years from now. I want to, for all of us, right now to picture ourselves at the age of 90. For me, that's exactly 50 years away. But picture yourself, maybe even close your eyes for a second, picture yourself at the age of 90. What are you like? What, how do you see yourself at the age of 90, sitting in an old rocking chair maybe? How do you see yourself? What are you like? What is, what is your character that's exuding out of you? What kind of person are you in these glory years? How have you developed in wisdom and peace and grace and being true to who you are? Maybe you see people around you, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. What do they see in you? What do they know about how you live and what your character is? And now, how did you get that way? How did you get to be this version of yourself? I'm assuming none of you are picturing yourselves as old, cranky men and women who can't have a conversation with a human because you haven't developed relationships, because you haven't dealt with your junk. I'm assuming you're picturing yourself as people of hope, as people of peace, as people who have cultivated this life of grace and joy. Whatever it is that is the most you, you, I hope that is what you are picturing, that at 90, you are the most full you, you. But the thing is, we can't necessarily just think our way into that at 90, 50 years from now. It's not necessarily that I'm just going to hope and, and do my thing, but hope that I'll wake up at 90 and, and be the kind of person that I imagine then that I want to be. And today might look very different unless we are acting our way into thinking. And that's this. Alan Hirsch quote, we rarely think our way into a new way of acting, rather we act our way into a new way of thinking. Now this might sound like a lot of like doing kind of talk, so I want to be really careful about that because it's all grace. It's all God giving us the maturity, giving us the perseverance, strengthening us, empowering us. It is God's work in us. And yet we do have this ownership of our lives to say that 
I, I want to be a grounded, whole, soulful, peaceful person at 90. And so we, we actually do act our way there as much as we also surrender and give God access to our lives for that to happen. We think sometimes that we make our decisions, but our decisions are what are making our lives, making us and shaping us. So we don't change simply by what we believe in our heads, but actually what we are doing with our lives, our bodies, our hands. And it's this, this building, this cultivating of our inner character and that allows us to live the outer calling that we believe God has placed on each of our lives. It's the, the burrowing down of the roots so that what springs up is the fruit that is most what God has placed in us and able to grow freely. So how do we become that person at 90 that we imagine and dream that we will be? A rule of life then is what aids us in that direction and leads us into that mission that God has placed on us. We bend in that direction. Uh, the, the next slide shows a trellis of a plant, um, a vine, and I also brought a little prop here from an orchid that I got at our wedding four months ago, and I've miraculously kept it alive for four whole months. Um, but you'll see that even on this little orchid, there's, there's two trellises. There's this bendy thing and then this stick right here. And then, ladies, there's like a hair clip. I, it came with that. But this all helps. Orchids are very fragile and very um, particular in the way that they want to grow. And so this trellis is what just aids in its health and growth and life. You can keep that in mind, look at that, while we chat about a trellis. But a rule of life here, as Margaret Gunther says, a good rule can set us free, like the orchid is free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. So a rule of life brings order to chaos. Chaos produces anxiety, but order produces peace. And so just like a building with no structure is easier to knock down, people with no structure are easier for the enemy to take out. It's not our responsibility, of course, to produce the fruit, but again, to cultivate that environment where fruit can grow. I cannot force a seed to grow, but I can be faithful to sow. That was part of a poem that I had written about how God is the one that grows, but I partner with him in allowing him space and time, water and sunshine to cultivate me. It's God's work. We have to make room, dig up the rocks, allow for the soil to be tilled, maybe uproot some things, allow time to be refreshed and to lay fallow. We know that that's part of growth as well. These seasons of, of growing like a plant are very similar to our seasons of the ways that we grow. And so in the last few minutes here, I do want to get really practical 
and help us just think through how we craft a rule of life. In our EHS series, um, we have a lot of practical takeaways. It might seem a little different than a normal sermon, but we actually do want to help us grow, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week and in our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythms. So how do we develop this rule of life? You can go to the next slide of crafting your rule of life. A rule of life is a combination of our own priorities, postures, the postures that we desire to have, and our practices. So this allows us to bend toward the love of Christ, to bend away from lesser loves, and combines these concepts of our values, the things that are most important to us, the posture, the character, the kind of way we want to enter a room, the posture that we want to have when we're 90, with our practices, our very normal, everyday, ordinary life kind of practices. So we kind of work backwards when developing a rule of life. We start with, what do we value? What is important to us? And then, how do I want to be? What's the kind of way I want to carry myself? And then we develop these practices and even think about the practices that we currently have. Are they drawing us in, bending us toward the love of Christ, or sometimes bending us away or, or drawing us to the love of other things and that wild kind of unstructured um, life that we saw without the trellis? So the first one, priorities. I'm just going to really get practical here and tell you kind of how I've actually, I, this is a practice that I've done for some time and my rule of life has ranged from an Excel sheet to a lovely painted watercolor. Uh, these are words that guide my life. So you might be somewhere in between one of these extremes as you think about a purposeful, intentional way to develop a this is what I, what I desire for my life, how I believe it will get me to that person at 90 that I envision God desiring me to be. And so we ask first the question of our priorities. Something given special attention, weight, value, or importance. That's the definition. So our priorities. This is just a way for us to, this definitely could be something that you jot down, that you talk with a spouse, a friend about. What is most important to you? What is most important to you? These are the three questions that I got from a book called The Lazy Genius. Um, but she says, what is most important to you on your calendar, with your people, in your soul? What are the things that, and maybe right now, all we can do is just think about our morning. If we don't want to think about our whole lives, our whole rule of life, our whole week, our whole month, think just about your morning. What is important to you in your first hour of your day? What are you currently giving attention to? What can you tell just from your current morning routine, your current rhythm? What can you tell is most important to you? And what do you want to be most important to you, to matter to you the most in that first hour of your day? To focus and orient your, your day toward right from the very beginning. And how do those two kind of match up? What, what you're already saying about what is important to you, and then what would be 
life-giving in a fresh new way and to caution against any idealism or perfectionism there. I know that that can creep in. But when you think about how God particularly made you, this is very individual, very personal, how God made you and what you are called to be and do in this world, what needs your most special attention? What needs your priority, your value? So for me, I'm going to give examples of just my own life. Among my priorities of husband and family and friends and community and work, something that is very particular to me that I believe God has given to me is words. He has said, like, my work is my words, that I am a person who my ministry is through words, whether written or spoken or one-on-one -on -one or in a group, that words are very important in my life calling and in the way that God has made me to be. And so I can say that right from the start. We're looking at our priorities. Maybe you can think of one for you right now. What, what is particular to you along with the other priorities of your life, but what is a priority for you that might be unique to how God has made you in his image? Think about what one of those priorities would be. And we will move on to our postures. So this word posture is that idea of our approach, of our attitude, our character, um, the position, the way we enter a room. I often think about how do I carry myself into a room? What is the kind of the way that not people see me as if it's different from who I am, but what is it that I uniquely, in my most authentic, true self, what is it that I uniquely bring into a space? What is the posture, position, perspective that I offer and that I have? So it's how we embody, truly embody our priorities, the things that are important to us show up in our postures. So it's the deep within us kind of bubbling out. This is the truest part of me. This is who I am at my best. And it's what we say is internally showing up from uh, our external engagement with the world. And so again, we ask the question, how am I postured toward my calendar with my people and in my soul? What is my relationship like with my calendar? When was the last time you asked yourself that question? And how gut-wrenching uh, is it? What is my relationship like with my calendar, with my daily schedule, wherever you keep it? How do I interact with my schedule and with whoever else might manage my schedule or have a co competing you know, interest in my schedule? And then continuing to ask, is is that the posture that I want to have at 90? Is that who I want to be becoming? And again, with the how do I enter a room? What, are, what is the posture with the people that are important to me? How do I carry myself with the people that I most love and that love me and that are my priorities? So if they're my priority, what is this posture that I want to have with them? And the character question of who do I want to be in my soul, in the depths of who I am? And this is deeper than personality. This is character and depth and engagement with the world around you based on the deepest part of who you are. And so an example from myself again, 
I believe that God wants me to be postured as a peaceful person, a person of peace, that when I enter the room, I am a non-anxious presence. Uh, that's a word that Pete Scazzaro uses, or a phrase, a non-anxious presence. How can we be the least anxious people in New York City? How could we be people that enter rooms in this peaceful, non-anxious, hopeful, joyful way? What is it for you that you think God might uniquely have gifted you in or called you to be this type of person, this type of posture that you enter a room with? God has called me to be a person of peace, and I believe that that means I can be deeply present with people. Of course, this is a working process. He is growing me all the time. But to be a peaceful person, I want to be a present, a present person with people. And that goes back to the priority, the value of my words. And when I meet with people, that, they're, that my words can carry weight and that the Lord can use these in my posture of peace and presence with them um, in a way that if I was anxious and chaotic, if I lived in my natural default of anxiety, that that would steal from. And so what might that be for you, how you might be postured? And then finally, our practices. This is where we actually cultivate those regular things. Okay, if this is a priority and this is a posture, the character that I'm developing, what are the actual daily, weekly, monthly practices that will aid toward that, that will lend toward the living out? So we have our, our head, our priorities, and then our heart posture, but then our hands, the actual things that we do. So the last question, what practices best reflect my priorities on my calendar, with my people, in my soul? How do we actually act on a daily basis? And that's what some of those words on my Excel sheet and on my bubble chart are just, these are the practices of, of being rested so I can be a restful person. I get eight hours of sleep a night. There are certainly nights when that doesn't happen, but what are the things, if peace is a priority for me, how do I cultivate peace in a daily way? And for me, one of them is that I really aim to not touch my phone for the first half hour, and if I can manage, hour of the day. That I see my phone, I think I told this analogy to my EHS group, but I see my phone as like this, um, this still, quiet water. When you wake up in the morning, think of like a glassy, glassy lake, and the minute you touch it, it kind of sends out the ripples and everything gets a little crazy from there. And so if we can try to not have the ripple effect as long as possible in the morning, that is my desire. It does not always happen, but can we be people that say peace is important? Peace in this city is so important. I, I want to cultivate that in a daily triggering of my mind toward what would be something peaceful that I can incorporate into my daily practice. And these can also be practices of Sabbath, as we've talked about, Drew talked about a couple weeks ago, fasting from social media, refraining. These are refraining kind of practices, abstaining practices, but also engaging practices. So engaging with friends, engaging in silence and in scripture reading. 
Since words are important to me, I want to fill my heart with the words of God, so scripture, before all the other words that can get into my life. So let's read our passage one more time from Romans. And again, let it be our prayer. Let it be what we say is forming us. And allow this to help you take shape. This, this could be much longer, and I would love, I've led workshops on this before. I would love to continue um, helping us think toward cultivating this rule of life. But again, let's read this scripture, and then I will move us into a time of communion, actually. So read this again. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around New York City life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. May it be so. Let me actually read this last passage that I was going to end with. Matthew 11. If this conversation about rule of life leaves you feeling a little, wow, there's, there's lots to do, that is different than what we intend. And so as we remember Jesus in this time of communion, hear these words from Jesus spoken to you. And then we'll take, um, if you haven't gotten in a little cup of the elements, Ashley can come around and give those out. But hear these words of Jesus inviting us into communion with him, to living with him in an easy, free, maturing, growing, healthy way. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the Jesus who gave himself for us and said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The life that I live is abundant, and he wants to give us the same life. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into a way of life, a way of abundance, a way of flourishing, a way of growing and healing, being emotionally, spiritually mature people who can be a non-anxious presence in this city. God, thank you that your invitation to us is freely and lightly, freely and lightly, that you invite us to live in a way that captures the image that you've placed on us from the Father. 
Jesus, we thank you that we get to walk our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays with you, our everyday ordinary lives. We offer them up to you as you have offered your life over and over again to us. We love you, Jesus. Let's sing this final song in response.